Do you let your children light and manage fires? If not, why not? Today we're talking about the benefits of children working with fire, why children will seek it out and why it's important to incorporate it into your outdoor play and how to do that safely. Welcome to Raising Wildlings, a podcast about parenting, alternative education and stepping into the wilderness, however that looks, with your family. Each week, we'll be interviewing experts that truly inspire us to answer your parenting and education questions. We'll also be sharing stories from some incredible families that took the leap and are taking the road less travelled. We're your hosts, Vicky and Nikki from Wildlings Forest School. Pop in your headphones, settle in and join us on this next adventure. Before we start, we'd like to invite you to share this episode on social media so that we can help get more children outdoors reaping the benefits of nature. You can do this by sharing a story on your Instagram or sharing the post on Facebook or pop a message into our DMs if you've got any burning questions after this podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Raising Wildlings podcast. We're your hosts, Vicky Oliver and Nikki Farrell. Do you have a fireplace or a fire pit at home? Does your child have anything to do with the fire lighting and managing process? And if so, when did this start? Or the real question, when did you realise that your child was capable and responsible enough to do this? And then going deeper, did this age of responsibility lower for your ensuing younger children? This is exactly what we'll be discussing today. We've been running fire activities at Wildlings for a few years now, and I'd have to say that when we have a campsite fire, when we're cooking over the fire, it is one of the most empowering and and it's also one of the best when it comes to relationship building and strengthening Mm. our village. There's something really powerful about sitting in circle with community members in your village and watching as young children master something that is so ancient and so powerful. There's this real confidence that you see children as they learn to master the techniques of Mm. lighting and managing a fire and and I think it can be quite undervalued Mm. the importance of learning such skills in this day and age and that might seem all well and good for our families but what about the families that don't have access to a backyard and a fire pit Mm. what about families that can't access or don't choose to access scouts children at school often don't get the chance to have a campfire until they get to their excursions and sometimes that's not until high school when they get to actually manage and work with fires. So where do they learn the skills around being safe around fire? Even if children do have access to fires, how many times are they actually given the permission to be part of the process? Mm. How many times are they have they been given permission to light or to build or to manage or to extinguish the fire? And why is this important? So following on from our Risky Play episode, which I think was episode 10 for anyone wanting to go back and listen a little bit more about that, one of the pillars we talk about there is playing with dangerous elements such as fire. And we are really drawn to fire and children are also drawn to fire, as you mentioned before. Mm-hmm. We've been relying on that for survival for thousands of years, it's almost like an innate biological response. Mm-hmm. And we need to preempt this curiosity. Yeah. If we don't prepare our children on the ways to be safe around fire and also how to be responsible fire keepers, you know, we have an issue with bushfires here. Mm. We live in a country that makes swimming lessons compulsory at school because we're surrounded by oceans. 
but we don't make fire safety compulsory at school despite us being a very, very bushfire prone nation. There's definitely a safety element here that has been completely Mm -hmm. ignored because in our minds we see fire as potentially more risky or perhaps there's something in our minds about the risks associated with fires that we don't associate the same level of risk with, say, water safety, Mm. even though that's equally, if not more dangerous. Yeah, and I think there's this gap between. And the next part of this is starting to unpack how we teach children about fire safety and why it's important for us to go a bit deeper into the purpose of fire activities, say, in school or in places that you would be surprised to see it, which is actually in early learning centres. Mm. Parents might be quite surprised to know that our early childcare centres here in Queensland and across the country are currently better equipped and doing fire practices more often than our schools are. Mm. And we can do this safely. And if three-year-olds can manage fire safely and risk assess fire safely, then our primary school and high school age children most certainly can and they too can reap the rewards and the learning that can come from working with such a real-life learning tool. So let's talk about the purpose, like why are we introducing fire activities or why should we be Mm. introducing fire activities in a school or in an early learning centre? On top of it, obviously being fun and engaging. It's, you know, it is nice to do things at school, believe it or not, just for fun and just for enjoyment sometimes. Yes. But we know that the learning that comes from fire and fire activities are huge. Children do find fire fascinating. I'm yet to find a child that doesn't find fire absolutely illuminating and mesmerising. We're offering a good point of entry for learning. Mm -hmm. And so while the risks with fire are real, we're teaching our children to have a healthy respect for fire and the rules around it and its use, and we provide them with life skills And it also minimises the risks of serious harm and injury. And Mm. realistically, those those in itself uh, would be enough. But the great thing about this is that that's just scratching the surface. Yeah. One of my favourites is, you know, we live in this society filled with uh, anxious parents and anxious Mm. children. So where are we teaching our children to emotionally regulate, particularly regulating their fear and their anger? And this is a really great place where we can teach kids to understand that there is inherent risk in this activity as there is in most activities in life. This is how we mitigate the risks. This is how we make ourselves safe. And this is how we regulate our own fears around this. It's a great opportunity to be practicing that self-control. On that point about fear, we fear things that we don't know about. So if we educate our children about fire and how to stay safe around fire, then we eliminate that fear and we teach children to eliminate fear by empowering them with knowledge. Mm. And that's it. You're really providing an opportunity for the real-life learning. Mm. So it allows children to demonstrate that they are competent and they are capable. And this is a skill that is not just a skill for no reason. Like this is a, is a life skill that they mm. will be able to transfer into the big world. It gives the children that real sense of purpose. You know, we, mm. we bang on about give children real work, give them a sense mm. of purpose, make them, help them get engaged. And, you know, when we enable them to show that competence and that capability, that naturally, you know, intrinsically, it gives them this natural confidence and 
increase self-esteem. You so, see it on their faces, don't you, when, oh, we, when we go through fire striking, even just that one simple activity of using a, a magnesium fire striker. When they actually first even just get a spark, the look in their eyes, like, I did that. Like, I was able to actually create a spark using this tool. It's every time it just gives me like goosebumps. When we give them tasks that are so intrinsically motivated and then they're able to master those skills, it just naturally boosts their confidence and their self-esteem. And we're looking all the time at school for these general capabilities of social, emotional well-being. And we're always constantly trying to find tasks and assessments and things that are going to engage our kids. And I just look at fire and go, it's all all there. And we can do this safely. we can do it so safely. And that's the whole point. Like that's one of the main points is that we need our children to be self-aware and we need to give Mm. them a sense of risk, self-risk assessment. We need to Mm -hmm. give them some opportunities to practice that in ways that actually matter. You know, in our episode with John Marsden, one of the things that he said about these real-life experiences Mm. is that children can't become adults without learning how to become an adult and that includes all the tasks of becoming an adult we can't continue to keep doing these things Mm. for children we need to give them responsibility and by not giving them the trust in their own capability then we take that away from them by shrinking their responsibility we actually shrink them we devalue their place in society Mm. another one that probably doesn't get mentioned a lot is executive function so that's the part of your brain in charge of decision making It is really hard to make decisions as a child when you're micromanaged, uh, not just in a classroom but at home and when you're overscheduled and when some of those activities that you are doing, such as soccer, which is really beautiful and beneficial, but you don't have a lot of autonomy and decision-making involved at a higher leadership level. So fire is a great way for children, particularly if they're in charge that day of the managing, extinguishing or the cooking over the fire, of using those executive functions of the brain. Another skill set that FIRE really brings out, particularly in children, is their ability to work cooperatively as a team because Mm. there's not enough resources for everyone to be going and making their own fires most of the time. And Nor is that safe. So (laughs) there is this element of having to work with other people to share responsibilities, to Uh, step up and take on the leadership role or to have to share the mic. Mm, And to listen, to listen to others' input. Some of my favourite days down at Wildlings is when we have those wet Mm. fire days and we just essentially say, what would you do, guys? How are you going to start a fire? There's no dry wood. Um, And most recently we've had a new staff member come on and his favourite challenge is you've got one match. What are you going to (laughs) do? And I just love the faces of the kids just going, oh, what yeah. are we going to do? And then it's, it's bam, there's this intrinsic motivation of, well, we've got to work together to come up with the best possible fire mm. we can create. Or even the challenge <laughs> that we set. So often in our programs we all set a challenge once they've mastered fire striking and we use cotton wool as the tinder to get the fire started is if you can get a fire started using your fire striker without the cotton wool, then you win a fire striker. And often mm. children will work as a team in that particular scenario as well. Yeah. They'll go and work together to try and, you know, source materials and, and egg each other on and give each other support in trying to make it happen. I think what surprised me most about that challenge, because we're not generally, I would say that's the only time in any of our programs that we actually encourage 
even if it was incidentally at the start, any competition. Mm. But what I've been amazed and really pleasantly surprised by is the fact that, like you said, they have the most success when they work in the team. And it's always like, no, I'd like this friend to have it. Or there's never any fight about who gets the striker because I always thought that the challenge was to get the striker but they are actually most challenged by. They're, mo- they're mostly motivated by the challenge in itself rather than the fire striker. Like, yes. So it, it might be the fire striker sort of hints at that little bit of co- competition, but in the end it is. It's just about getting, it's, a, it's about achieving the goal because a, a lot of the yeah. times even when someone's won that fire striker, you've still got children sitting there determined to try yeah. and make their fire striker work on natural materials. Every mm. session, hey, every session you think, right, the fire strike has been won, that's it. No, it's still, they're still after exactly. that challenge, which is beautiful. And then with that also comes yeah. that environmental awareness as well. I mean, we weave that in through the safety aspect, but also just in a, a wider understanding of fire's purpose and also mm-hmm. what happens when we don't manage it properly. Yeah, and part of that is creating this sense of place mm. and space. So you know, kids know and actually naturally are not interested in doing fire in the warmer seasons. It's too yeah. uncomfortable, but they're also really mindful. that They know that the leaves have fallen. They know that it's dry. They know that it's not safe to have fire. So then interests naturally mm. wane. It's They're very much protective custodians of this space and they won't do what they feel is going to put it in That's danger. Right. And another beautiful part of fire that I'm really starting to have a personal interest in is embedding and respecting our Indigenous perspectives. And just recently Mm. I have read a book called Fire Country by Victor Stephenson, who has been working with Indigenous elders in far north Queensland and is bringing his fire management and Aboriginal fire management knowledge to places all around Australia. And it just... The way in which our First Nations people managed fire on this country is so intricate and so mm. just beautiful to read about, even though I'm only reading on about it in at such a you know superficial level, it just mm. it connected me so deeply to this land that we live on and is something that we can then mm-hmm. you know embed in the way that we talk about fire with the children yeah. in our programs. There's some really beautiful Indigenous fire mm. stories. We can talk about Indigenous fire management and practices and the importance of fire in everyday life for Indigenous mm. culture. It really is a really special way in which we can keep the culture at the forefront of our minds every day when we're Mm. in the forest. Another way we can embed Indigenous perspectives with fire is cooking. So sometimes it can be as simple as cooking damper with uh, and talking about lemon myrtle and the ways that we use Mm. lemon myrtle or the way that we use wattle seed as well, what we do for art with the charcoal afterwards. So making sure that we're not just educating in a colonised type of way Mm. with fire and that we're embedding some really beautiful ancient practices. Mark Armitage, who is the founding director of Malarkey and is a, has been a play worker for 30 years, probably sums it up best and he says, there is nothing like it for the noise it makes or how it looks or the obvious power it has. And that fascinates children who want to experience it. Mm. So again, sometimes we need to preempt these curiosities because if we don't, that's where the danger lies. And I think that really brings out to the point of the sensory integration 
of fire mm. because it is mm-hmm. you, you feel the heat you see the flames you smell the smoke it's it really is quite a sensory experience mm. with all of those things coming together which i think is part of the allure as well yeah and again those Sometimes those children that don't succeed in the classroom will be the ones that find the most success in these kinesthetic skills. Mm. You know, this is the opportunity for those children that perhaps aren't as engaged sitting at a desk and are you know, not great oral or visual learners that need to have their hands involved in things to, to take in mm. the learning. This is such a good opportunity for these kids to thrive and for educators to see them in a different light. Yeah, and I think that we can talk about the benefits of FIRE all day But Mm. we actually really need to address the key concerns of parents and educators. Well, this is the barrier. It is the barrier. And there's some really obvious ones. And we'd love to talk to you about how we manage that. Mm. Yeah. So obviously the biggest concern for parents and educators is burns or this fear that children are going to step into a fire. The precautions or the way that we mitigate these risks are really simple. You know, children have to wear shoes around a fire. Mm. There's just no ifs or buts, that's the boundary. You must wear clothes and shoes around the fire. And for us, we have a raised fire bed, so you, you can't step, step into, into our it. fire pit. No. You can't. And I think that it's funny how people will have that automatic, like my child will be so drawn to the fire that they will touch it. Mm. Uh, and we forget that there is actual physical barrier in the fire itself. In fact, the most common form of burn is not in a flame, it's in the white above a flame or steam yeah. or hot water because there's not such a visual danger sign mm. as a hot flame. Yeah, A fire is a great visual warning. It is a great visual warning. <laughs> I mean, I think uh, stepping further from that, it's that we as parents or as educators don't have confidence around fire. Now, I will be very mm. honest in saying that I have been around fire you know, a lot of, particularly in my adult life, but I never actually engaged in lighting it and managing it Mm. and extinguishing it. I left that for everyone else to do. And Mm. it wasn't until I took, you know, did the forest school leader course that my confidence grew because I understood it. I had, I actually had an opportunity to do it myself and Mm. learn how to keep kids safe. So if you haven't had a chance to light a fire or be around fires, then you're naturally going to be a lot more hesitant to allow your children to engage in this because mm-hmm. we we haven't experienced it ourselves enough to know that it's that it's safe. Yeah, and again, that so knowledge is power, and so similar to your story, I'd I'd been around fire a lot as a child, and I'd managed fires a lot as a child, and I'd worked with fire and adults as an adult, but my barrier was you know, 20 children Mm. under school age around a fire, how the heck do you manage that? And then as soon as we saw it, we went, oh, oh, there it is. There it is. Okay. (laughs) That's how you do it. That's how you do it. So so if you haven't seen it, go and see it. Mm -hmm. Go and do an observation at a childcare centre. Come and do a casual trial at one of our kindies because Again, our fear is of the unknown. Mm. And once you see it and you can see that people are trained in it and very aware of it and you can see all the safety precautions around these programs, it is really, really difficult for a child to burn themselves. It is. And begin a program. If we, if For kindy example, if we've had children there that have been coming for a while, they will tell you step-by-step step how to manage a fire. But if you, mm-hmm. even if you get a group of children who have never been around fire before, 
or limited understanding, you will see they have the ability to risk assess this situation before mm-hmm. they're even in it. They might not know yeah. everything, but they will give you some, they'll probably go too far in, yeah. in their risk assessment. They'll, they'll put some boundaries in place that you think, well, that's actually not very practical. You won't actually get anywhere near the fire if we do that. But that was, a, you know, at least they're, super they're safe. super aware. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's summarising that, the biggest barrier to children accessing fire is actually parents and educators not trusting in a child's ability to risk assess and keep themselves safe. Mm-hmm. So we actually don't so much need to educate children as that we need to educate educators and parents about how able and capable children are. Yeah, and educate ourselves. And that's what Mm. we had to do. And now we wouldn't have it any other way. No. And I think going on from that, the next step from the education is the letting go. Mm. You know, handing over the baton to your child to be responsible for their own safety. Mm. At some stage, we have to hand over the reins. and We have to teach our kids to do that for themselves. So but how do you do that, Nikki? So how do we handle it? We introduce it step by step and we start small. So we often would, if we don't run in a centre, but when we train up educators, we say start inside, do stories about fires, talk about the stories that children have about burning their hand on the stove or being a part of a bushfire, involve some imaginative play about fire. You can even set up a pretend fire and go over how to stay safe or go over your own rules that you've come up with at your centre or your home. Start inside. Yeah, and then you can start with simple activities like fire striking. So when we do fire striking in our programs, uh, it can be as simple as they have two Mm -hmm. resources. They've got the fire striker and a little bit of uh, cotton wool, like cotton wool balls. We clear a space and we go through a few safety steps on how to do that. And mm. we have a high ratio of adults watching children yeah. and it starts there and it starts by managing a tiny little ball of fire in a very safe space and we go through from how to keep ourselves safe, how to keep others safe, how to light, how to manage it while it's alight and then what we do to extinguish it. Mm. And then we move on from there. But our first fire is not going to be a bonfire. It's going to be a very small fire in a Mm. very controlled space. And we're going to talk about what kind of flammable materials we can use. We learn how to extinguish a fire. We learn about burn first aid because if you do burn yourself, children need to know how to tend to that too. We know what is suitable and what's not suitable to throw on the fire and why. We learn about the safety, what happens if safety rules aren't followed. Uh, And then we can continue that discussion into our broader community and the impact of arson and the impact of bushfires and talk about the dangers of playing with fire. Yeah. And then we really focus on the safety measures Mm. that we put in place. So where is the fire located? Talking about managing the height of the fire. What's our proximity to water in the case of an emergency? Mm. What type of fire pit are we using and how are we seating or positioning ourselves around that fire? Mm. How do we walk around the fire when it's there? Mm. How do we move around a fire once the fire has been lit? Mm. And what kind of clothing should we wear around a fire? What kind of fire safety tools like child-sized fire gloves and fire tongs should we have close by? Yeah, and safety equipment, fire blankets, extinguisher, buckets of water, those sorts of things are all part of that fire training that we we give them. The same fire training that we received, we pass that on to the children. The hope is that if there are children that are attracted to fire, then they will at least 
be taught how to manage and extinguish a fire properly. They're not mm. going to come across a box of matches and just light them and not know the consequences of that. Yeah. So, And at the end of the day, and we, we were talking about this separately today, mm-hmm. it's often the risk to adults. So the, this particular quote comes from Tim Gill, who says it's the blame, loss of reputation and liability that clouds providers' judgment when it comes to allowing children to take risks. Mm-hmm. And it's a very <laughs> tricky place to be in right now because we mm. have responsibility for both. Well, we do, and we are definitely seeing the consequences mm. of wrapping our children in cotton wool now, the mental and physical health we can see the damage that that is doing. So we need to find this balance and we need to do it soon. So the last thing we would suggest doing is ensuring that you're educating your parent community and staff on how important it is Mm. for children to be able to take risks. Uh, If this is something that you really wanted to implement within your centre or your school and you're finding that there is a little bit of resistance from your parents, is actually taking the parents through the process of what you are going to do with the children so that they can see it for themselves and can see that you are managing it in a Mm. really particular way. And if you don't know how to do that, come and see us. We run an introduction to fire and bush cooking for educators. It is the most fun workshop that we run. Uh, We get to cook our own morning tea Mm. and lunch and afternoon tea over the fire We get to sit in circle and discuss the barriers that we're facing as centres and schools and we break those down. It's a nourishing day out and, um, look, I know I'm biased, but I highly recommend that workshop. So just contact us if you're interested in finding out more. In next week's episode, I'm chatting with parenting expert Chrissy Davis from Chaos to Calm. We talk a lot about how we need to be helping parents to understand their children not just when we're at a crisis point. So we're looking really at how we can support parents through those times, almost like we get a lot of education when we are about to give birth to a child. There's a lot about the actual birthing process, but Mm. nothing really post that time when they're around two years old. So Chrissy and I are going to delve into that and how our role as parents is really, really vital in a child's education. We can't expect to know everything and it's like anything else. If we want to get better at it and we want to make our lives easier, then we need to educate ourselves and and give ourselves some tips and tools on how to make parenting easier. In the meantime, if you'd like a little inspiration to get your family outside and experimenting and working with fire, then head to wildlingsforestschool.com forward slash free dash downloadables to get your free copy of our famous chocolate orange campfire cake recipe. It's vegan, so it suits all dietary requirements. It uses no patty cakes or alfoil, so it's really environmentally friendly. Most importantly, it's delicious oh my gosh gosh, it's so good (laughs) we would love for you to share the love on your socials so subscribe or follow us on your podcast platform of choice and as always we love doing this journey with you so until next time stay wild